Hello and welcome to episode 55 of Great Things with Great Tech, the podcast highlighting companies doing great things with great technology. My name's Anthony Spiteri, and in this episode, we're talking to a company that was founded just recently in 2019, recognizing that the manual process of traditional security operations was ineffective in this rapidly changing cloud world. A company that's making threat prevention and security operation available via a platform that provides early and accurate metrics and visualizations through recognition of attacks, providing companies with an unprecedented level of intrusion prevention and mitigation. That company is Spiderbat, and I'm talking to Brian Smith, co-founder and CTO at Spiderbat. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. It's great being here with you, Anthony. Excellent. All right, then. So before we get into all things intrusion detection and security in this crazy, crazy world that we live in, just want to give a shout out. If you love great things with great tech and would like to feature in future episodes, you can click on the link on the show notes or go to gtwgt.com, register your interest. And as a reminder, all episodes are available on all good podcasting platform, Google, Apple, Spotify, all hosted and distributed by anchor.fm. Go to YouTube as well, hit that like and subscribe button. And with that, let's get into the show. So Brian, just um, firstly, good. let's talk about Spiderbat, um, you know, but I want to find out a little bit about you first, where you came from. You've had a really interesting you know, last, well, I guess 20, 30 years in, in, in IT and technology as a founder. So give us some background there and then, you know, tell us about what got you to, you know, go go through it again and create Spiderbat. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, getting me to go through it again, this is my third startup and it sort of reminds me of uh, like people who go get their PhDs at school. Some people never learn. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good Just, one. Uh, which I can say because I, I I got my PhD from Berkeley and then I was I I was a professor at Cornell for about five years and oh, then okay. went down into um in the computer science department yeah that was that was a that was a really neat run and um, then I started a company down in Texas with uh with a bunch of other people uh, called Tipping Point and that was around 2000 2001 and that was doing uh, the first intrusion prevention systems which were kind of network intrusion prevention systems. Okay. And so the, uh, what those, uh, well, I can tell you more about Tipping Point, but anyway, out of, out of that company, uh, we got to see a lot about how um, people, people came to us with a lot of really interesting problems of, you know, how to protect this. And we always took them with a, you know, view of how do I solve them with, with the stuff we have. And uh, a lot of them we could do, but a lot of them was, ooh, that's, that's a toughie. And that company got that company was sold to 3Com. Um, okay. Out of uh, we started Click Securities, my my second company out of that after after that in 2009. That was sold to Alert Logic, and that you can think of that as an early day XDR. And then Spiderbat was founded in 2019, and we got our you know our uh, seed round funding in uh, around July 2020, right in the middle of pandemic. Okay. Yeah. 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 And uh, uh, went after. So uh, trying to do use a lot of what we had learned over the years uh, to secure uh, cloud and Kubernetes and Linux uh, workloads because there's just Linux is being used for everything that's it. in the cloud and and that's where the crown jewels are and yet the security solutions there's just a dearth of good security solutions out there for a variety of reasons but yeah uh, so actually that's, that's yeah. where we saw a lot of opportunity. 
Actually, so I just noticed that you just got your Series A as well, didn't you? So that's, yep. that's pretty good. Yeah, we so closed on our Series A about, uh, we announced that in October. So we're, uh, that was another, that was a $10 million round. So there you go. So there's some, there, there might be something, there might be something in this. Uh, it, we definitely think so. And so do our customers. It's really, it's, it's a fun run. It's, uh, um, I'm really excited about what we're doing because it's so different from kind of the state approach that we've seen before. Yeah. And I got to ask, where'd the name come from? Ah, uh, yeah, no, that's, that's a good question. So, uh, naming companies is, is, is kind of fun. So we, we, we're out of Austin. And so Austin has this thing called the, this bridge called the Congress Avenue bridge, which yep. goes over the water and it has the largest colony of, uh, bats in North America, these Mexican free tail bats, oh, okay. millions of the things live underneath the bridge. And so Austin's known with bats. And so we thought spider bat would be a fun name just because it's these, there's these bats that eat spider. Yeah. Spiders are spider bats. But when we went to open the bank account, uh, the, the bank teller misspelled spider bat with a Y. Ah, there you go. Instead of spider. And we thought, oh, that's pretty cool. And so we actually re changed the name of the company. We just filed, filed the incorporation papers. And so we, that's awesome. we changed it. And that's how Spider-Bat got to be. Yeah, I was going to, I was going to say with the why there, that's, that's an awesome origin story. I, I was in Austin this year, oh, this year. Yeah. I think in July. And I didn't even go to that bridge. That's interesting. So next time I go, I'll have to uh, take oh, a look it's there. Awesome. I, I loved Austin. It was a great city. Yeah. If you go out there at uh, sunset, you just, uh, on the edge of the bridge, you can see just millions of bats pour out. Uh, miss, miss, eat all the mosquitoes. It's awesome. I missed a trick. <laughs> it's actually a funny, funny about, um, you know, that why and the misspelling. I, my daughter, actually, her name's Lorelai. And um, at the end of that yeah. name, because it's a bit of a weird one, yeah. uh, my wife misspelled it when she was, uh, when she was born. Um, instead of I-E, it was E-I, and we just stuck with the misspelled because it was just easier because it was yeah. written down. So there you go. Interesting little segue there. <laughs> All right. So, so going, going, yeah, going back into it. So you've talked about you know the, the problem that you're trying to solve around security, around containerization as workloads are moving you know, from traditional on-prem virtual machines. Um, but you're still yeah. basically, you said to me earlier, anything Linux-based, right? So what's what's the problem statement? What are you guys trying to solve fundamentally at Spiderbat? So so there's, it, uh, there's really two parts to it. One is that good security, uh, the foundation of good security is kind of knowing what's going on at runtime in your environment. And if you look, uh, there is a dearth of, good solutions that let you know what's really happening at runtime and that are able to react and, and, and stop bad things from happening. What typically happens in, a, um, in, a, in most attacks is they get, the attacker will get in through some vulnerability or some weakness in the system, maybe even stolen credentials, um, uh, things like this. And they'll get a foothold in the system. And the very first thing they do is they start looking around because they've got these, you know, they're, they're on this new system and they're not really sure where they are. So they start poking around. Most of that activity is recon activity that they try to set up persistent so they can get back in in case yeah. they get knocked out. Um, and all that activity is usually goes undetected. It they continue to kind of case the joint and figure out figure out what's going on until they actually uh, start launching the attack. And usually, it's it's somewhere around two months on average that they're I've in the that, system. Yeah, yeah, before you actually detect them, and that's just like a travesty. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, because they're on our turf and we should be able to detect them. They're making noise. That's a violation, right? Yeah, they're, they're violating yeah. your the, the, the sanctity of, of you, of, yeah. of your company, of your network, of your people. So, it's actually scary. So what we wanted to be able to do was detect them just right of boom, from right the moment that they got in and then be able to tell everything that they did on uh, since they had been in. Maybe you detect them 12 hours in and they set up a little bit of persistence. But if you were like sitting on the shoulder of their, the attacker as they were going through it, and that's actually how some, some people have described Spider-Man. It's like sitting on their shoulder as they're pivoting and moving oh, yeah. through your network. Um, you can see everything they touched, everything they did, prevent them from doing damage and clean up the mess. And it's really, really fast to do that. So it's basically click on an alert and you get a picture of exactly what's going on yep. and how to stop it and how to undo any damage that's been done really, really fast. Um, so, so it yeah. takes this thing that's, you know, six months of work down to five minutes. That's, that's really impressive. I can get more into how that works. But, no, that's cool. Um, yeah, we, we might dig into it. We might dig into it a little bit. But I think, you know, from that point of view, what I've seen, obviously, you've got the UI that you guys provide and there's all sorts of dashboards. It's a very nice UI actually gets to the point. Um, but then I saw the fa a demo of it that showed that, you know, it showed, you know, someone doing some stuff like elevated privileges, trying to get elevated privileges to a certain machine, you know, snooping around. So it actually showed you, you know, what was happening on the, on, on the system itself. And, saying this is not normal you know have a look at this and that there's the alert like this isn't what we think is normal behavior in a normal operating environment and then you've also got these these causal um visualized graphs which basically from from what i can see give you a node down or a node up whichever way you're looking at view of the system to show you what's actually happening at the different levels so it's it's really cool and and it looks like it's intuitive as well so that's and that's a hard thing to get right when you're only what yeah. two and a bit years in really yeah yeah i think you know i mean it's one of the things that we did was we made it open for other people to to try and so we had we took many, several attacks um that um like a log4j attack and from a honeypot and some some real attacks and some some uh defend the flag type challenges and what we did was we put those up so that you can actually explore the system you just log you create a free account and you click on defend the flag challenges and you can actually play with the ui and see what a log4j attack looks like in in action or see what okay. different types of attacks and you'll get a sense of what you're talking about because that what what you were describing there the causal graph the notion there is the the real problem of security is it's a little bit like debugging like reverse debugging you see something happen that's that your your alert your your initial signal that something's going on that's like the bug happened. Yeah. And then there are a bunch of things that caused that bug to happen. And what you want to do is work your way backwards. What caused this? Well, this file got written. Well, what? who wrote the file? Well, that was written by this program. Well, how the heck did that program get going? Well, that was um, that program you know, was installed over here and it was pulled down from S3. And that S3 file was written by this other program up on this other system where the user SSH'd in and copied it in. So all that activity of you know, from the beginning, from when the SSH happened to copying it up to S3 to pulling it down to starting another program. Yeah. Um, those activities are a causal chain. This caused this to happen, yeah, caused yeah, this okay, to happen, yeah, caused yeah. this to happen. Makes and sense. And so if you can start at the at the, the point and work your way backwards, it, we provide that backwards linkage. And that's what I mean by you click on it and you get back, oh, four days ago, this wow. this is what where it started from. That's now, most cool. of the time that you get to see it, you know, 
30 seconds later or a minute later. But because the attacker's in there, they're constantly doing things that trigger more and more activity. And so you get multiple bites of the apple before. And the, tra- and, and, that. And the attacker wouldn't have a clue that you're effectively spying on them. You know what I mean? That, that's, yeah, that's, no, that's it's, you're, you've it. got spyware on them. That's a great yeah, way to... that, that is actually really <laughs> interesting. So you, you're, you've created almost the inverse of, of spyware, but it's still kind of a spying situation. It's proactive and reactive at the same time. It's, it's, it's interesting. I want to I dig into how you do it, right? And there's some really cool... And you're, you're leveraging some cool yeah. Linux technology in, in kernel to be able to do yeah. what you're doing through nano agents. Just before that, yeah. you talk a lot about shifting left. Um, and I've yeah. heard this, I was at reInvent, 2022 last week i heard a lot of this shift left you know talk so just give us a little bit of a background as to you know what shift left is and where you guys fit with that and how you're trying to sort of shift them a little bit more right so yeah just go through that yeah Yeah, so there uh it's a it's a good topic the um the notion of shift left is really trying to catch security problems as early as possible in the uh in the life cycle of software so uh, the earliest possible, you know, the, the best way to do it, the, the theoretically best, is to ship with no bugs. Because really, software vulnerabilities are just bugs that yep. uh, attackers can exploit in some way to do something that you never intended to do. You know, Anthony, if you think about what hacking is, hacking is understanding how something is implemented so you can use it in a way that it was never intended. That's like, you know, people say hacking the genome or hacking my car to get it to start yeah something exactly like that it's understanding yeah. how it works to to, to make it to do, do something it doesn't do that's right yeah. yeah yeah exactly so um so the the theory is that if i could prevent every vulnerability um before it entered the software the the attack surface would be smaller so it would be harder for attackers to get in and 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 it's that's a great it's a it's a laudable goal. The problem is is that it's incomplete because you're still gonna. It's like saying that I ship with no bugs. What it, software that's do an you impossibility. know that's ever shipped out there that has zero bugs? Impossibility. Not just zero known bugs. Zero bugs. Period. Yeah. That and never and, and never any moving forward. I mean, when we haven't gotten to yeah. the stage where we've got though this week it's a bit topical where AI is writing code for us, right? As we ask right. it, but we haven't got to the point where that code is perfect, and it will never be because it is fundamentally flawed because humans do create it. So there's always going to be a fundamental challenge with it. Well, and so, yeah, so what, uh, as soon as there are bugs in the program, because you can have unknown bugs in the library, you can have known bugs in the library, you can have unknown bugs in your code, you can have no bugs in your code and still have combination of features that conspire together to allow the attacker to do something that you didn't want them to do or expect them to do. And so all of those those reasons may mean that you need a portion that is monitoring at runtime yeah. what's actually going on, detecting bad things, and shutting them down is just right of boom. And that actually ends up being a much more practical way to solve the problem because what's happening, you know, what what happens if you try to squash absolutely every vulnerability is that you spend an inordinate amount of time trying to do defending against theoretical attacks where in practice they actually could never happen. Yeah. Um, and so uh, so it's it's just kind of slow and inefficient, whereas a more practical way is to have a compensating control that can detect the attack, kill it, tell you about it in, in, with enough details present that you can go back and prioritize that, that any the problem that caused that to, uh, the, the vulnerability in your software that allowed that attack to happen. 
Yeah, that's this so is you, the whole concept of runtime security, it, but still fit it back into the the software development lifecycle like that to fix the problem. It's not an excuse for not fixing the problem. Yeah, I get it. It just yeah. gives you a really good way to prioritize the problem. It, it actually, it's and logical, makes sense. Stuff. Yeah, it's logical. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, so this is this this is this concept of of runtime security, right? Like, I think that's kind of really what it comes down to. But what you explained yeah. is very interesting because obviously there are companies out there that will go, you know, on the left side of that. If, pardon the pun there, but, yeah. you know, basically try and hit it and make it perfect before it goes into production. But like, you know, there's yeah. all these unexplained vulnerabilities, all these hidden ones, and, and they just, you're never going to be able to detect all of them. You're correct. So being able to be proactive and reactive in the actual runtime when things really are on, on you know, deployed and actually in, in motion is the way to do yeah. it. And I think that's a really interesting and unique approach and one that yeah. I don't think I've seen elsewhere in the market today. So that's good in itself. The other benefit you get out of it is once you have the system that can tell you, you know, why this thing happened, it helps you with the operation side too. So yeah. we have customers who the security group gets involved because a Kubernetes cluster got deleted and they think they're under attack. And so then they spent the security group spends you know, does the weekend fire drill and spends four days crawling through logs and found out that it was six levels down in scripting that that someone fat fingered and had an environment variable set wrong and it invoked a command to delete a cluster. So it wasn't an attack. Most of these things end up being friendly fire incidents. Okay, yeah, yeah. But the security group just spends ridiculous amounts of time trying to chase this stuff down by looking at logs, and it's and it's a terrible job. It's no fun at all. <laughs> like, uh, well, yeah, that, and that, that's why it's a very special type of person that does security. <laughs> so you know, yes. there you go. Um, is their main focus. But this is the concept of like, I guess, bridging. You know, DevOps from my point of view, platform operations uh, and whatnot, with and SecOps. So you're you're kind of trying to bridge that together, um, but but not yeah. but not have it connected in a way, right? So I think that's what you're kind of getting at. You're trying to make the security guys team a lot easier while making it more of a, a function of of Dev and platform, right? SREs. Well, yeah, I mean, if you look at the the two problems are really closely related because. A lot of what DevOps does is in investigating is investigating this the system's not behaving the way I expected to, and trying to figure out the root cause. A lot of what security guys do is I have some an indicator of a possible attack and trying to figure out root cause. And so that's really what SpiderBat was is you know what we found on is if we could record everything that happened on the system, and link it together causally to build a map that matches what's in the user's mind of how, how computers work, processes, read files, write files, yeah. processes, make network connections, processes, start other processes, and how that one thing causes another, then you can, you, you can solve both problems with that. It's like, we have a tape. It's almost like a DVR. Everything that happened on, on, your, on all your systems and how they interrelated. And so you just roll the tape to figure out what happened. And we can, the, then the problem you run into is it's too much data. But the causal tricks is the one that gives you the answer to that because you start with the the effect and work your way back up the causal chain and then you know exactly why it happened. Yeah. So that that's 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 the the theory. And we've been working on it for, for two and a half years and we've actually figured out how to how to do that thing. Yeah, no, it's really, it, it definitely sounds it sounds that way, right? So in terms of 
you know how, how it's delivered so let, let's go into a little bit about you know how you're de delivering yeah. the platform today at the moment it, it's it's SaaS based um so you log in you've got your ui and then it, it deploys this concept of nano agents um which is yeah. using ebpf which you know for me i had to do a bit of research on that being honest and, and finding out yeah. exactly exactly what that was it's like um it's got its origins in the linux kernel it basically runs a sandbox program inside the operating system kernel so you're, you're plugged right in there and it's, and it's from what i've done the research on it's a really safe and efficient way to extend the capabilities of the kernel without changing yeah. it so you're exactly how did, so how did you get onto that to use as these nano agents number one and just tell me a little bit more about that because i find that quite fascinating okay yeah so the the, the concept of the nano agents is uh pretty simple they're they're a, a small software agent that runs in user space that um installs these these uh, little plug-in modules we call bats little programs okay there you go they gather data from from the endpoints and guess what they come from the bat cave yeah. <laughs> so that's so the nano agent downloads these bats and the bats um gather data uh from the endpoint so the the, the basic concept i wanted was we have an analytics that the, the bats sh ship their data through the nano agent to the back end to the SaaS back end and then a set of um software on that Column analytics, uh, run our detection, build our models, and run our detection. So, if I, as a security researcher, want to protect against detect a new attack, uh, what I do is I say it would be really easy if I had this data. So I write a little bat to gather that data, and then feed that back to the back end. And because I have exactly the data I want in a very regular way. I can. Uh, it's very easy to write the detection that's accurate and um, and effective. Uh, whereas most other, if you look at systems that try to do that from third-party data logs, it's really a rough place to be because yeah. usually the data is not there, or if the data is there, it's so twisted in a way that you can't be accurate. And that's why that's that's the historical problem of SIMS. So getting back to your question, some of the bats we have are using eBPF. And we, when we originally started this, we tried to use some of the other capabilities like the Linux audit system that's yep. built into Linux kernel. And it was just crushing the box because it was too, from a performance standpoint to log the data we needed. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Uh, plus it wasn't as extensible as we wanted. So eBBF gave us a chance to say, I, I want to, for example, track the life cycle of every process from when it's born, as it mutates, and then when it dies. And so with the eBPF, we can write, we can intercept the function calls in the kernel that where the process is born, where it mutates, exacts another program, changes user uh, you know, privileges, stuff like that, and dies. And send those as very lightweight events to our nano agent. The net result of this is we, we have some that uh, uh, track all the network communications, another one that tracks all the file accesses. Yeah. Um, uh, now there's a look at DNS requests. Uh, now there's a bunch of various bats that solve different security issues for us. But the eBPF uh, method gives us a way to extend, almost extend the kernel for what we want to do, the data we want to gather, yeah. and do it in a way that has almost no performance impact on the box. It's like usually 1% to 2% of the total load of the box on this, and yet we're gathering all the data we want. And it's and it's a very lightweight amount of data, in fact. It's about 100 kilobits up out of the system going back to the back end. Okay, just before I go to the back end, just a question that popped into my yeah. head there was, 
you know, obviously you're, you're correct because if uh, if an attacker or a, or, a, or a malicious user was on a box and they were, you know, yeah. doing their research and doing their reconnaissance and waiting two months, if they if they happened to see, if they had HTOP running and they saw like, you know, the spike of CPU or, or activity yeah. on the disk, they would get a little bit, they're smart enough to go, that's a bit weird and, and maybe they will catch on. So the fact that you're not triggering significant overheads in the system actually makes the, the spyware element that you guys are doing, you know, more real. Um, I'm yeah. assuming though that these bats and, and the nano agents, they're not able to be seen by anyone on the command line. You know what I mean? So if, if I go to if I go into a HTOP and yeah. see, they're basically invisible is what I'm trying to ask. Uh, they're, they're, they're obfuscated. Uh, because they're running in, in user space, they are in fact visible, but they're obfuscated and protected. And we yeah. monitor it on the, the back end so that yeah, essentially you, you want to know if the nano agent uh, gets killed. They're hard to kill um, okay. because we use a lot of the same techniques that uh, that viruses and you know malware uses to prevent itself from being killed. So it's yeah. it's pretty hard for the attacker to kill. It come it brings itself back. And then that itself, that the if it they do somehow manage to kill it, that itself becomes a signal that uh, that Something's you want to investigate. Yeah, and I but guess that, usually yeah. by then, by the time they've got that, they've done so much recon that we've already identified them. And interesting, you, know, you, <laughs> you yeah. know it's you know it's going on. Yeah, all that data is already in the back end. That's they, it. Yeah. And it's a massive red red flag if they kill it as well, like straight away. It's yeah. okay. Some it's, someone's it's, doing something. It's sort of like you know if you're in. It's sort of like if you're in a bank and there are security cameras and someone's rummaging around the bank and going through all the drawers and then they look up at the security camera and take out a gun and shoot it. And all that footage is back at the back. It's, end. <laughs> it's not like there's any ambiguity of what's going on. It's yeah. So in that back end, so when you're you're shift are you are you in real time sort of obviously you're taking the event or whatever you're looking for through the bats. Yeah. And you're sending that data up to um, the platform. Is that uh, is yeah. that like a pulled are you pooling all of the data together to basically get some economy of scale with regards to the, to, to the big, to the data that's in there and then basically running, I know we've, you've got the labs and the research arm that yeah. you know, are part of this, but is that going into a, a particular user's uh, pool of data, but I'm not sure where you're storing it, wherever you're storing it, or does that then go into a larger pool to basically maximize the amount of info and data points that you're actually getting? Uh, it goes in, it's, it's, we divide the world into organizations because yeah. those those are customers, and each organization is is firewalled off from the separated. Other yeah, that's what I was getting all, at. Yeah, all, right. So it's a you know it's kind of natively multi-tenant. Uh, so we get economies of scale for that. What happens from the nano agent is we batch up small batches of events every five to fifteen seconds. We send them to the back end. They take about three to five seconds to make our, make their way through our analytic system and then they're live. So what you're seeing on the screen is about 20 seconds delayed, you know, cool. anywhere from 10 to 20 seconds delayed of live. So it gives great demos because you sit there, someone logs into a system oh, yeah, and exactly. then starts typing commands and you can watch the, watch the commands on the, on the screen as they're, they're doing it. And see That's very cool. Me working in the, Which um, is the same, yeah, I was, I was going to say me working in the backup space. I am, um, I'm, my, my brain's ticking away in terms of the, the potential for this because you know, we we yeah. obviously deal with the the back end of that situation when something's yeah. gone really wrong and they've got to recover it. You know, but there's yeah. always a problem of how do you stop that from happening? You know, like it's an end to end type of play, right? So, yeah, it's really interesting. I'll tell you a story that you know happened to one of our 
customers on the operation side there. I'll give you to give an example. He went in and uh, he got an alert. He was running dark trace among other things. And that detected the spike in network traffic uh, between two systems. That was, it was an abnormal spike. And it was going between a, a, a server and the backup system. And so he basically looked up the, the, the alert and uh, not the alert, the network connection in Spiderbat and found it was coming from a program that had been launched by a script. And he could see all the other script commands of where it created a tarball, seeded in a directory, ran a uh, command to compress the file, seeded in another directory, and then you know copied it, copied it out. And there was a bug in it where he see the the he looked at the script and it had just been installed the day before. He could see exactly who installed it. And there was a bug in the script where it was CDing into the wrong directory before it did the gzip. So the file was never being compressed. Okay, yeah. And so it was the uncompressed file going out. Ah, yeah, yeah. The scripted, the backup script had just been updated. He saw who updated and when he updated it. This whole thing took him like three minutes. And he called the guy up on the phone and said, hey, you know, there, that script you installed the other day on this system, there's a bug in it. You CD'd into the wrong directory and it did. <laughs> and so you're not compressing the files being sent to the backup. Wow. And, and the that guy's guy, like, other... how the heck did you yeah. figure that out? Like, are you watching me, man? Are you, are you watching me here? Like, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> that would have yeah. been a bit So crazy. it's, uh, it's, it was, it, but it was really straightforward, you know? It's, yeah. It's not. I was going to say Spiderbat Labs as well. So talk to me a little bit about yeah. that and how that fits into the puzzle of what you guys are doing. Yeah. So what the, if you think about an attacker getting onto your system uh, um, and then they start rummaging around, there's a whole there's a um, whole matrix of things they can do, and uh, a good play, place that tracks this is the um, the MITRE attack matrix. Uh, if you've heard of that, it just basically tracks um, tracks tools, techniques, and procedures that okay. attackers use. Um, and a lot of them are really low level things that you wouldn't care about. Someone running, I mean, as as simple as running, who am I? or PS on the, the box to figure out what processes are running or you know, commands like this, just very simple re recon commands, pinging a, pinging a host. Um, and what you find is that if you can detect those low level things and then causally relate them that this and this and this were all part of the same session for this user, you can score them together as a group and that that collection of low-level signals makes one really strong high-level signal that the that something weird's going on. Yeah, uh, it's sort of like detecting, you know, forty-three proteins that float around in your blood, and but correlated together, there you know, twenty-five of them are associated with a, with a particular form of cancer. You probably got that cancer. <laughs> okay. So it's it's uh, it detects that inside in inside the system. Sonar Labs is all about. Uh, building the the security content that detects those things, low level, high level, and and gluing them together to make yeah. uh, to very accurate ways to detect attacks, and you know use this recording technology very practically for for attack detection technology. So that's that's basically that that is what makes spider that spider bat right. The smarts that are in, yeah. in that particular lab to detect it. You know, you've got the great yeah. technology that that's you know the Linux-based um, nano agents there, which also, which you mentioned actually quite interestingly, um, is kind of architecture agnostic, isn't it? Because you're mentioning you've you've installed it on Raspberry Pis and whatnot, which is cool because those things yeah. and the ARM processes are making their way 
into our into our networks and our edge locations and just data centers in general. So the fact that yeah. you're able to be architecture agnostic is is a big tick. Um, this I am interested though in the Windows side of it because obviously there's a lot of there are. I mean, lots of obviously in public clouds. You, I mean, you 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 cross AWS multi cloud, you, you yeah. containerized workloads with Kubernetes, but Windows are still yeah. there, right? So how do you if you got a customer that comes to you and say, hey, you know, I do have a lot of Linux, but I've also got these Windows boxes. Like, what can you yeah. guys do for me? Well, so most of, uh, we're right now we're um, you know we're a startup, so we uh, you have to pick where you're focusing Absolutely. where you're going to be great at. And so we've been focusing on the, the Linux side of the, the equation. People tend to have fairly mature uh, security processes around Windows and Linux and, yeah. you know, big investments in them. We uh, have been, we have techniques where we can get the same type of data out of Windows, but we haven't gone to the effort of commercializing those yet because there's so, basically there's such a dearth of stuff going available for the Linux world. If you ask people, to, you know, to what visibility they have into the real runtime workloads that are happening on their their Linux servers and in their Kubernetes boxes, and compare the security there versus the maturity of security they have in the Windows and yep. you know, uh, Mac things, it's really weak. And so we we're focusing on filling that niche, um, and that we'll get, sense. get to Windows once our customers demand it. But they're yeah. they're they're telling us right now focus on the Linux box because that's that's where I'm completely blind, especially with Kubernetes, which is still so new and fluid as as a as a yeah. platform, right? Um, and yeah. it's always changing. And and I think Kubernetes is inherently a black box. Like, you know, there's very few people, especially in the DevOps world, they'll just kind of deploy their their, their applications. They get the namespace, they've got the artifacts, and and they they kind of do their thing. But I don't think a lot of them yeah. really care about how that happens and, and how you know what's happening. Whereas me. And a lot of the platform guys are really still interested in, okay, what's the CPU doing? What's the storage doing? What's the network doing? So that level of understanding, I believe, is getting lost to a certain extent as more workloads shift to containerization, cloud and whatnot. So you're absolutely correct that there's a the addressable market in that space is significant because it's, it's, it's wild west still for me. There's so many tier one applications going out there. Enterprises are adopting Kubernetes more and more, but honestly, I feel like they are like lambs for slaughter at the moment without this sort of technology. And, and the Kubernetes thing is a, is a great example of the nano agent architecture. Cause what we ended up, what we did was we built a, uh, a bat that we call it the lighthouse bat and it, goes off and monitors the the Kubernetes environment, just monitors uh, both the container through the con uh, 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 container interface the, the, and the uh, Kubernetes audit interface. We're able to inspect the Kubernetes environment and tie that back to what the physical processes are on the machine. So every process on the machine, I'm able to map back to a Kubernetes pod namespace deployment but then I can also visualize exactly how, for example, a Kubernetes rollout happens yeah. from uh, watching the, the containers be pulled down, a new set of containers go up, and the network traffic between all the containers and the actual processes on the containers. Once you have that, a really neat thing happens. If you think about the average 
you know, kind of microservice. It's, it's really is micro. It tends to be, have just a few programs running in it and it talks to a few other services. It gets, you know, requests from a few services. It talks to a few services. Um, and it's, it's pretty tight of what it does. We're able to look at multiple runs of those because they run off the same, uh, uh, Docker image or same image yeah. and be held, build behavioral fingerprints of each one and use the combine those together to create a behavioral baseline that's human readable that says this is these are all the processes that are run in the tree the process tree that gets created this is all the ingress connections egress connections once i have that as a developer that is can be integrated into my workflow where every time i roll out a new image I get a new finger just by deploying it in my integration environment. I get a new fingerprint from it and I can compare that against the baseline and see if anything's changed. Yeah. This allows you to detect things like supply chain attacks, unexpected behaviors during when you upgraded to libraries uh, or anything else, because something new happens. It's talking to a new service. It's launching a new program and yeah, you have okay, no idea. Yeah, yeah. I get it. Yeah. Um, That's really cool. So we're able to see, you know, tell the developer about it. And then they say, they say yes or no. And if it's expected behavior, they say yes. That thing can then become a contract or you know something I can give to the security group and say, these are the guardrails for my application. This is how it should behave at runtime. And if it doesn't, you know, shut it down or let me know or or, or anything else. And it it reduces operational issues and it also provides really really good security because now instead of trying to detect attacks based on the known attack technique, we're able to you know, essentially put a padlock around this, this con container image and say, this is the, the guardrails for it. And if it ever deviates, shoot it in the head hey, and we'll move on. That's interesting. Uh, and also just to finish off where we're, we're kind of rapidly yeah. running out of time here, but um, yeah. do you have extensibility and the ability to, to plug into, you know, ecosystem partners and whatnot? So actionable items. So yeah. if something happens, you know, obviously you've got the UI, but can they plug into the API and basically insert it into a pipeline or something, or even just plug it into some other system to do actionable items afterwards? Because I think that opens up a tremendous opportunity. Yeah, yeah. There's there's multiple um, avenues for that. First off, you can get it's it's all an open API. Everything that's done on the console is done is available through API calls through a well documented API. Uh, so everything's automatable at that level. Secondly. Um, we have so the the data you can get out of it is pretty easy to understand and, and parse. So you can use that for your own purposes and import it into. We have connectors for all the usual, you know, uh, Splunk, Elastic, the usual uh, suspects. And then the third thing is um, we can attach for any given uh, detection. We can attach actions to that. That can be everything from things the nano agent does on your behalf, like killing processes or pods or things, or invoking webhooks, which might send a message to your, your to a Slack channel, or invoke uh, scripts on your side, and that's all extensible as well. So awesome. you can install your own scripts to do things on the on the client Perfect. side or invoke them on the back end. Excellent. So you can automate well, a lot of security. Yeah. Well, hey, we could have chatted for a lot longer. Um, you know, the time is yeah. short now, but uh, hey. Great conversation. I think to be fair, the people are going to understand the the greatness of what SpiderBat's creating. I think you guys are onto a really great thing, and I wish you all the success. Um, you know, as as you move this startup into you know a, a very very competitive world. But thank you for being on the show. Just want to finish off by saying, if you like great things with great tech, 
and would like to go on future episodes, please once again, go to gtwjt.com. You can find me at Anthony Spiteri or at gtwjtpodcast.com. With that, thank you, Brian. Thank you, Spiderbat. And we will see you next time on Great Things with Great Tech. Thank you, Anthony. Great talk. Awesome. We're going to cut off in about two seconds.